heard from Pastor David um, a number of years back, uh, the elders of his church laid hands on us as a family and uh, we responded uh, to God's call to go and serve in Sydney, Australia. It's been an amazing, but also for our friends from Indiana, I had the privilege of serving in Noblesville for a bit at Grace Church, and I know right now God has rescued you from the winter. I tell you, I thought it was cold until I served in Indiana. It is hard to describe, and God rescued us. I use the word rescued us from the winter in Indiana because it is hard to comprehend how a place can get to negative 28. It is not possible, but it is there. Today we share from Ezekiel 37. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at fixing our focus on Jesus. This year is a year of perfecting our faith. Perfecting our faith in what we hear, in what we see, and what we say. Today we'll be looking at chapter 37, and we'll go through those 14 verses. Ezekiel 37 is, would be one of the most maybe famous chapters in, in, in Ezekiel. It's one of the go-to places that many people, if you ask them about Ezekiel, they know about dry bones coming to life. But for us to get a better understanding of the conversation that God has with Ezekiel in 37, it's important for us to have the context of where it's coming from. And so it, it puts the whole conversation in context. So Ezekiel, um, the, the book generally divided into four parts. And these four parts are, are so, uh, just so amazing how they fit together. In chapter 1 to chapter 11, God you know, has appointed Ezekiel. He's away in, in exile. God appoints him as a prophet. But in, in these 11 chapters, we see Ezekiel presenting an accusation against Israel. In 1 to 3, he's appointed as a prophet and starts to prophesy. In chapter 4 to 5, he starts to do crazy things. When you read Ezekiel, crazy things uh, to try and get people's attention uh, towards the sin they're committing and the fact that they're drifting further and further away from God. He wraps it or binds himself in ropes and lies on his side for like 390 days, trying to get people's attention. He makes his food out of our dung. God gives him these instructions. He shaves his head and his beard using a sword. We see him trying to tell people, you need to respond to God. Things are not okay. And in chapter 6 to chapter 11, the reality hits him that these individuals are not going to turn back to God. It seems so. Reality hits him. And so in chapter 12 all the way to chapter 24, we see God speaking judgment on Israel. The parables of the rebellious wife, the promiscuous sisters, all these things, God is saying, this is what you are. In 25 to 32, then God not only speaks judgment to Israel, but also to the surrounding nations of Egypt and Terah. In 33, we take a little break and we get to hear the fulfillment of this prophecy when someone comes and tells Ezekiel, actually, Babylon has attacked Jerusalem and the city has fallen and the temple has been destroyed. At this point, it seems all hope is lost. But then in chapter 34 to 48, we see hope restored. Hope restored for the nation of Israel, hope restored for the nations around, and finally hope restored for all creation. So in this chapter 37, as we read it, I want you to have that framework in mind that here is a man who's been prophesying, trying to get people to, to draw their attention to the sin and the fact that they're falling far from God. And in chapter 11, reality hits him, the, nothing's changing. And so in chapter 37, as he speaks, we understand some of the reasons why he's sort of hesitant to speak these things. 
We'll be building around this one truth. Faith speaks life. Faith speaks life. We're talking about perfecting faith. So we get on to chapter 37. And what I will do is I will weave in the, the story of what God is doing in Sydney, Australia, a sort of an update, and, and some of the great things God is, is doing, so the challenges we are facing and how you can pray for us. I'll weave that in to, as, I, as I share from God's word. So we see the three things that are happening in, in the sort of the, what is being drawn from this conversation with God is God is saying that I'm not only, this nation seems so far from him, from me, and it seems so impossible for them to turn to me, even after they've received word that Babylon has attacked Jerusalem and the temple has fallen. But God says not only will he resurrect this nation, he'll bring revival and he'll reunite them to himself. So we start with verse 1, and let's read up verse 1 and 2. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among them, bones that covered the entire valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. So Ezekiel is taken by God's Spirit into this valley, and in the valleys, you know, the hills on one side, on the other, most places, uh, this is where battles would happen in valleys. And so we see Ezekiel taken to this valley where maybe a battle had happened. And the few things that he brings to attention about what he's seeing. He's seeing bones that are numerous. There are so many. He's seeing bones that are scattered and disjointed. Meaning if there was a battle there, it was a really hard battle. And the impact was significant. And the bones are very dry. Meaning this happened a long time ago. But they seem to be symbolizing something because he's sort of seeing a vision. So can you picture with me, just for a moment, this Ezekiel is in this valley. It's full of numerous bones as far as you can see. The impact of whatever happened there was so significant that these bones are scattered and disjointed. They're very dry. And then as he observes this and starts to process this whole site, then in verse 3 we see a strange question. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Now that question is really strange because you and I, the obvious answer, given what we know about science and about life, pretty much is no. But Ezekiel understands who God is. He seems he knows and has history of God's love uh, his nature, his he knows it. So he somehow knows God can do something. He just does not know what. So he turns the question back to God and says this, O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. You see, when we got to Sydney, Australia, the desire, the plan that we had, you know, in our own human understanding and in our own effort, we were going to start a church in the west side of Sydney. This is more of a really growing suburb. A lot of people are moving to that area. So a lot of young families, huge potential for church planting and all that. So that's where we, in our human effort and understanding, had plans for. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're working with. But God had a different plan in mind. Somehow, God in his sovereign will shifted things here and there. Some significant, some little, but we ended up finding ourselves in what we call the inner west of Sydney. 
This is the area that is really just around the airport, the CBD. It's sort of the, the, the gateway into Australia. It's called the Inner West. And it's a place that's referred to as the graveyard for churches. It is in the area where if you get a church that is above 50 people, it's doing really well. Now, when people think about Australia, they think about what church? Hillsong. Everyone who's come to visit us has always said, please take us to Hillsong. I want to tell you, Hillsong is an anomaly. God is doing amazing things through the ministry of Hillsong. But it is an anomaly. It's not the norm. It's not the standard that you'd use to measure this sort of what's happening in Sydney spiritually. Where we are is called the graveyard of churches. And so as I stepped into this place, and I think I shared this last time I was here, I got into the church that I was, I was to take care of locally, and, and there were nine people. And this was a church that was on the verge of shutting down. They'd come to a place where they were actually shutting down. They had two set of congregation, a Greek congregation and an English-speaking congregation. The minister for the Greek congregation is at 86 and I just was now struggling with dementia. But they couldn't find a replacement for him. The English congregation, the minister there was 84, a retired surgeon. And as I stepped into this, I said, when you talk about dry bones, this is like as dry as it gets. But as I listened and I met with other pastors, in my role, I meet with a lot of ministers. And as I met with them, and, and my role includes church planting, revitalization in this uh, area called the Inner West. And as I met with different pastors, everyone had the same testimony. This place is hard. Nothing grows in here. Churches are dying. And one of my responsibilities was shutting down churches. I told them, now where I come from, I don't shut down churches. But the reality hit me in the ground. That there is so much we have here that we take for granted. This is what it means to serve in a post-Christian uh, uh, place. The things that we do here that are normal, that were normal to me. You know, we, the things we do. For example, when you, I don't know how many guys, when you do KCSC and KCPE, how many people stopped and prayed? Well, not out of fear, but the church, it's, I mean, the school organized a, a prayer service. How many did that? No, they organized a pastor to come, and everyone is very attentive. No one misses the K3, KCP or KCSC prayer day. They're all there, including your parents. They'll take time off. The things we do that are not normal to us because we, we're still in a pretty uh, Christian area where we can use terms like, you know, praise God. Terms that are very normal to us. Open your Bible to Ezekiel. Please take your kids to Sunday school. These are things that are very normal to us. We can go to hospital and pray with people. When, you go to a when I got to the situation I was in, I remember the reality hitting me of when you're preaching and we had to buy, buy Bibles for the entire church so I could tell people what page to turn to. Because people just don't read the Bible. This is a foreign book to them. When you talk about Jonah and the whale, they're like, oh, dude, get serious. What do you mean a guy swallowed by a whale? Like, seriously, this is, they're like, it's not normal. Where my kids would meet with people and tell them, hey, do you want to come to Sunday school? And they're like, what is Sunday school? Meeting kids in, in, in year six and seven who've not heard the message of Christ. This is the reality we are living in. A place where, just like Ezekiel, we looked at it and it was a valley of dry bones. But faith speaks life. Faith speaks life. 
So Ezekiel is processing this and tells God, you know what to do. We see then God giving him a strange command. And he goes on in verse 4, it says this. He said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. Now, when you listen to this command as Ezekiel, now remember Ezekiel from chapter 1, chapter 1, he sees the presence and the glory of God, but he sees us departing from where he is. He looks for the last 11 verse chapters, he's been prophesying. And people are not responding. Jerusalem has been attacked. The temple has been destroyed. And still people will not respond to God. So in the reality, when God tells him, you know, speak life, I mean, you and I look at it like, it really looks impossible. How is this going to happen? And I remember getting into my role, and I met with this one, one, one church that was falls under uh, my area. And I went and met with them. The, the first responsibility I had, I was told, all right, there's a church that's been struggling. We need you to go shut it down. I said, like I told them, I don't shut churches down. That, that, it just doesn't compute in my head. So I go and meet these people. There are about six of them, all of them. The youngest was 52. She was daughter. Her, so her mom and her grandma were part of that congregation. There were about six or seven of them were sitting in a room, and they said, hey, this church is struggling. We cannot even pay the bills anymore. Uh, we're living off the rent from, from, the, from the house. We, 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 do not, we can't take care of this place. Please help us in the process of shutting it down. I said to myself, this, no, no way. That's not going to happen. Now, this is what's happening. Where we are in Sydney, a lot of people when they come to Australia, Sydney is sort of their first port of call. That is where most people would land into, settle into Sydney. And as they get, become more accustomed to the place, they move to Melbourne and Perth and places like that. So, here is a church that is struggling. Six people with a building. But the other flip side, it's an area that is highly multicultural. There are so many people from different nationalities who come to Sydney. And that's one of the things that God laid on our hearts as we went out to Sydney. So I said to, my, to this, this group and the, and the pastors I was meeting, we need to come to a realization that time has come when you need to start accepting that where you are, and God is going to send help from Africa and from Asia. And unless you take a posture of surrender and submission and allow God to use these individuals who you're calling migrants, there is going to be a challenge for you. And that reality took a while to sink in. Because for many people, their definition of missions is people coming to Africa and to Asia. But God is changing the script. And that's the reality of missions. And so it took a while, but they finally started to see, okay, this is, this is real. Now, this particular church, struggling, six people, down the road, there's an Arabic church, predominantly from people from Egypt and Jordan and Lebanon, that is bursting at the seams with many young families, young people who've come to this Australia, found faith in God, and are excited to live for Jesus Christ. So I told them, you know what's going to happen as part of my response? I said, it's time. We're not going to shut this church down. We're not going to sell this building. No, no, we're not going to do that. We are going to trust God for re God to revitalize this church. Because faith speaks life. So in the first meeting, I told them, we're going to take the next three months to pray and fast. Then I took another half an hour to explain what fasting was. So I explained, say, let's, let's fast, let's trust God. 
And as the conversation continued, we started seeing God do something in the hearts of these individuals. The area is now predominantly uh, Vietnamese in that area and Chinese, but maybe three suburbs down the road, it's predominantly uh, Arabic. And these are people who know God and love God. We have young pastors, children's ministry. These guys had shut down the children's church and now was used as storage. So like Ezekiel, God gives him a strange command and tells him to prophesy to dry bones. And let's see what happens. Verse 5. Let's pick up from verse 6. He says, I'll put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Verse 7. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then I watched. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the, bo over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. We're talking about perfecting faith. The reality is that we live in a broken world. That is the truth of the matter. In Ezekiel, his brokenness was seeing his nation drifting further and further away from God, despite him trying to warn them. In our lives today, we look at our nation. We look at our own marriages, at our families, at our business. We look at all these things, and the more, I mean, in the last few weeks, I've, I've, I've been up country in, uh, in Akuru, and as I talked to my relatives and to my friends, everyone tells me business in Kenya is hard. Things just don't seem to be working out. And one guy told me, if you want to grow in your faith, do business in Kenya straight. If you want your faith to grow, do business in Kenya straight. You, you will, like Ezekiel, it, it is hard. But yet it's in this situation, as Ezekiel looks at all these dry bones and all the fact that he knows he's been prophesying and nothing is changing, in this situation, God tells him, I will put breath into dry bones, I will make them live again, I'll put flesh and muscle. I will cover them with skin. They will come alive. But faith is not about what we see, but about who we put our trust in. You see, God's character is consistent. His nature is consistent. And if we're going to perfect and grow in our faith, we must consistently put our trust in who God is. His nature, and He's consistent in who He is. God has always been good. Before we enter this earth and after we God is consistent in who he is. And because of this, that's why we put our trust and faith in him. Because he is consistent. And in Ezekiel's situation, he knew that it looked dire and lost. But this was not the first time this nation had come to the brink of destruction. And God had rescued them. Because God is consistent in who he is. Our faith is perfected when we consistently put our trust in God, who he is. And so Ezekiel, being a prophet, knew. In his capacity, he could not do anything. But he knew that this God who had asked him to prophesy, if he says they will come to life, they will come to life. Faith speaks life. So we see things happen coming together. So this church, we... Continues having conversation. Finally, I tell them, all right, guys, the, the time has come when we now need to actually have real conversation. These are individuals who've been in this church for over 50 years. 
And the reality comes that they will now be under an Egyptian pastor. Awesome guy. Just born in Egypt and all that, but Australian as they come. And the reality is this, that not too long ago, about three months ago, this church that was dying had come to us asking us, how do we shut this church down? How we do transition the property and all that to the property trust? This same church, in a period of about seven, eight months, a few months ago, we launched it as a strong church of 120 people. 120 people. With a young pastor who loves God, with a team that is as multicultural as they come, they are Vietnamese, Chinese, Egyptian, all of them there, a true representation of what Sydney is. Faith speaks life. This is what we're talking about. You see, as Ezekiel speaks, in verse 7 to 10, we see what changes. God in his sovereign power brings things together, things that seem impossible. And listen to what happens in verse 10. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came from into their bodies. They all came to life and stood upon their feet, a great army. From bones that were scattered and broken and destroyed, a state of hopelessness, God brings forth a great army. This is what God is saying to the nation of Israel. He's telling them, I will resurrect you. I will revive you spiritually. And I will bring you back together as a nation. But what does it mean for us today? You see, I remember the very first time uh, coming towards Christmas when I was talking with a few pastors. And so this church is all pretty small. And the reality of them is this, that around the second, after the second uh, weekend of this, this December, people shut the church down. Now, I don't mean, like, I literally mean they, they lock the door and, like, they go, including the pastor. So people ask me, okay, what are you going to do this December? I mean, are you going holiday? Are we going to lock the church? I said, even if it will be me here, I, don't, I do not come from a place where we shut the, like, we lock the doors. We, I don't. Why? Because I've seen God work in amazing ways. And my prayer has been, Lord, in this place that's called the graveyard of churches in Sydney, in New South Wales, Lord, you've taken this little church that we went to that had nine people struggling on the process of, of almost shutting down. And in a space of less than 18 months, you've grown it to over 50 people. Surely God is at work. The same God is at work here. The same God is at work in China, in, 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 in the Middle East. This is the same God. But our faith has to speak life. It has to speak life. And so we started seeing, I mean, when I went there, people were saying, oh, you know, this church, we know it, it's been there. The church I lead is 92 years old. And has had one pastor for the last 52 years. He's just gone into aging, uh, age care. But this is a man who's been faithful in sharing God's word. But the reality of the situation, when he was ministering, the church was really, I mean, it was vibrant and growing. He was actually sent there to revitalize the church. Because it was predominantly white Australian. Migration started to happen after the, uh, the Second World War. A lot of people came. People started looking for churches. And this guy was a young Greek minister. They called him into that place. And God grew the church through him. But then another thing happened. And people now, the people they ministered to were predominantly, uh, you know, migrants coming in. 
trying to struggle to learn English, but now their children are not Greek, they're not Lebanese, they're not Sudanese, they're not Kenyans, they're Australians. They don't speak their language from home, and so a lot of them just disconnected from the church and left the church. And those are the people we're trying to reach out to. We're trying to tell them there is still hope in God. You can still trust in God because God is trustworthy. That regardless of the wealth that you have found in this place, true life, true wealth is found in knowing Jesus Christ. This is the message we're trying to pass. What does this mean for us today? For Ezekiel, like as I said, God was saying he would restore this nation back to himself and you reunite them under one king. It seemed hopeless, but God was going to do something great. For us, what does it mean today? If you could turn with me to 11, verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become all dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the Lord says. All my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, all my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I am that I the Lord have spoken and have done what I have said. I've done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. This seemed impossible for a nation that was in exile. But did God do it? Yes, he did. What does it mean for us today? Can God bring dry bones back to life in your situation? The answer, we see this consistently, is yes, he can. Is it your marriage, your business, your career, your health? Whatever you define as a situation of hopelessness, hope is found in Jesus Christ. Faith speaks life. We, deal, we worship a God who deals in the impossibility. We see this in Luke 137. Nothing is impossible with God. God can bring hope in a place of hopelessness. The second thing we see is this. What God can do for nations and individuals, he can also do for churches and families. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us this in Ephesians. Ephesians, that we, are, we have strayed far from God. All of us used to live in a sinful way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very own nature, we are object of God's wrath and anger, just like everyone else. But verse 4 tells, but God who is rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Do you feel yourself in a situation of hopelessness and you do not know Christ? True hope, true satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. Even that situation you're in can be turned around. No, put aside the business, put aside all these things. The greatest reward you can receive now is, is just life eternal in Jesus Christ. And you see, for the nation of Israel, God brought them back to himself. Keeping word, keeping true to his covenant. And even the same way God is calling you back to himself. He desires to call you his own. Do I have hope when I look at the situation in Australia and in Sydney, where I am? Out of the number of churches, the 48 churches that are around my area, more than three, about, maybe about four of them are really healthy, strong, growing, and, and thriving. 
Uh, maybe another 10 are in that place where they're just there, existing. They'll meet Sunday to Sunday and Sunday. The rest are declining. And there's one actually that when I go back in March, we have to have the conversation of like, we need to restart this church. Do I see hope in this place? It looks impossible. But I am convinced that faith speaks life. That what God has done in this continent and what God is doing in Asia and in India, this is the same God who can work in Australia. It's the same God. For many of you who might not know of the history of this church, apart from maybe a few people who have been here long enough, this is a story of K3C for those who don't know. That there was a time when it looked like it was going to shut. But the elders of this church were bold enough to say, you know what? That is not God's plan for this church. We need to reach out. And God brought this church together with Nairobi Chapel. And we started, yes, we started small. There was nobody upstairs. We were just down here. But what has God done in the last number of years? God has restored. God has not only restored us, he's given us health. And out of this church, other churches have been planted. God through this church has sent missionaries. I mean, if there's anything else, the story of this church is a story that God is a God who restores hope. Faith speaks life. As we look at this year, our prayer and our desire is to see 30,000 people discipled. It sounds impossible. It sounds like a big ask. But we've seen that if God can restore a nation that are so far from him, 30,000 is really not that hard for God. It's not. Are we willing to speak life into our community? Faith. Perfecting faith is when we consistently trust God for who he is in his nature and his character because God is the same. Let me end with one last story. So, this church that, I, that I'm leading, remember how many people started off? Nine. And in those nine, three of them had mental challenges. All right? So, they were there. I mean, we cared for them and loved them. So, like, really six people. But in the last one and a half years, God normally has, we've had our first baptism in, like, 34 years. Like, I had to ask where the baptism was. I didn't know it was under the stage. Because I said, we need to baptize somebody. So, oh, we had people coming to visit to the church to see a baptism. Because they had been in that church for 20 years and had never seen a baptism. In this church, we held our first kids camp with our partner church in, in, in Grace Church, Indiana. And they came. And for the first time, I think we had like 14 children come. And four or five children. Was it four or five, or sugar? Five? Five children gave their lives to the Lord in that camp. To a point where the mother of one of the children who gave their life to the Lord did not allow them to come back. Like, what is this thing you're teaching my children? But these children have received Christ. God is bringing new life. We've had five people or six people come and serve as interns. In a place that was once dead, God has brought new life. Because faith speaks. So I trust God that the next time God allows me to come and share with you, we'll not be 40, we'll not be 80 maybe 200, and beyond that, forget the numbers, that the area of Elwood and Sydney will be impacted for Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to be part of that journey, like I did in the first service. 
If by some mistake you were headed to Mexico and you ended up in Sydney, I invite you to come and help us serve. You know, Sydney is one of those places that is so far. Well, actually, it's not far. Well, okay, okay, actually, true. It, it is far, okay? But I encourage you as a church, you, 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 you are the backbone. We go out and say we've come from a church in Africa and it still be, bewilders people. When I stand up there as a regional uh, leader of this and I say, I come from a church in Africa and I'm proud to be an African missionary in this place. And I'm backed by a church in Africa that is praying and fasting. And God is doing amazing things. So I've been saying that for a long time. And I need you to come so that they actually see you. So <laughs> I encourage you. If you find yourself in Sydney, Australia, come and serve with us for a week. If God is calling you as a family, come. If you have children you're sending to university, send them to Australia. Why don't you go to Diana? Squeeze you. Send them to Australia. Let them come and get their education as they serve uh, in the kingdom. This is my prayer. That you go beyond praying for us and supporting us to actually coming and being part of what God is doing. Faith speaks. How does your Monday change? Whatever situation you're in, whatever you define as your area of struggle and dry bones, the things that seem impossible, I want to encourage you to speak life. We see God do it. He commands Ezekiel to do it. And God responds. And there's new life. Amen. Let's pray together. Everlasting Father, you are a great God. You're good and awesome in who you are. And thank you that, that we can come to you and approach your throne of grace with confidence. And Lord, I want to pray for each and every person here who may be going through a very tough situation, whether it's, it's financial, emotional, spiritual, religious, whatever it may be, Lord. That even in that state, it seems hopeless. Yes, I'm